Well, good morning to you. We're starting a, a new series this morning called All Things New, and it's about the restoration of all things. I, um, as I've got older, I find myself getting excited about things that when I was younger, I would probably have rolled my eyes at. Things like being able to go into the garden and sit and have a bit of peace and quiet. Um, well, the thing that I'm excited about at the moment is this new table that we've got. We've finally replaced our old table. I was a bit sad to lose it because, you know, we've got lots of memories of, of the kids growing up and, and the different things that have happened around that table. But I'm excited about this table because um, it's a little bit bigger. It means we can have a few more guests at the table. And it also means that when we sit on chairs, it doesn't feel like it's going to fall, uh, fall apart at any minute. But actually, the, the real reason I'm excited about the table is because the table for me has become quite a, a key symbol for me in, in, in my walk with Jesus. Um, I actually became a Christian sitting around a table. It was back in 1987, um, and uh, I was on a mission. I was on a mission to go and tell other people about Jesus. That's what I thought I was going to do. And I was in a place called Nafferton in East Yorkshire, and... Um, I remember sitting around the table in the church where I was staying with the rest of the team that I was on mission with. I'd never met them before. And um, I remember sitting around the table and we were drinking coffee and just chatting. I remember hearing the other team talk about their relationship with Jesus and realising at that time I didn't know Jesus the way that they did. Realising that actually... I'd gone to tell other people about Jesus, but I didn't really know him. I knew about him, but I didn't know him. Um, and it was, it, was, it was the team leader particularly that really inspired me. Uh, some of you will know him, actually. It was Baz Gascoigne. He was my team leader. And uh, I just loved the passion that he had for Jesus and the way he talked about him. And it really challenged me about where my relationship was with God. And so I became a Christian. I became a follower of Jesus uh, sitting around a table, drinking coffee, chatting. And since then, the table has become a bit of a prophetic symbol for me of the fact that God shows up in the everyday life. Uh, it doesn't have to be in a church. It doesn't have to be in, in, in a, a holy place. Uh, the table can be just as holy. And um, I love the fact that God is involved in the nuts and bolts and that he speaks to us in the everyday life. I love the fact that the, the everyday life, the things that matter to you and me, matter to God. This is where he shows up. This is where his presence can be found. It's the, it's the beauty, isn't it, of the, of the story of the incarnation, that God, who chose to come from heaven to his rightful place in heaven, chose to come and become flesh and blood, become matter, become atoms, and live amongst us in the dirts, live amongst us in our everyday life, sit at tables with us, eat food with us, um, probably not drink coffee with us, but, you know, came into our everyday life. And um, that's the beauty of the God that we follow, that he shows up in everyday life. And that the, this world, this physical world, matters to God. You see, God didn't come down from heaven in order to whisk us away 
to save us and to whisk us away to some ethereal existence in the sky. That isn't what he did. He came from heaven to become like us, to become part of this physical world, this material world, to redeem and restore this world because this world matters to him. It's his creation. And I think that's great news because this world matters to me as well. I'm sure it does to you. And the fact that God has come to restore and redeem this world is good news and it matters. I'll say that again. This world matters to God. The things in this life that are beautiful, that are good, the beauty of creation, the meal round a table, the beauty of a piece of music, the beauty of a garden of creation, of going out and seeing um, all that he has created. It matters to God. And this is what he has come to restore and redeem. And of course, us as part of his creation. But it's so much bigger than just us. It's all of creation he has come to redeem. You see, the gospel often has been reduced to this kind of let's get saved so that we can endure this life and one day be taken off to some other place. And that isn't the gospel. Actually, that is Greek thinking that has seeped into the message of the gospel. The Greeks used to think, uh, the Greek thinkers used to think um, that the spiritual was the most important and the physical didn't matter. So spiritual life was all about escaping the physical so you could go and be somewhere else, being in a spiritual realm. Well, that isn't the gospel. That isn't the Christian gospel. The Christian gospel is that God comes to earth to redeem and restore physical matter, physical and spiritual together. That is what he's about, the restoration of all things. And if you think about it, Jesus showed us this, didn't he, in his resurrected life. The resurrected life of Jesus, the restored life of Jesus was a physical existence, wasn't it? He walked around. He spoke with his disciples. He had breakfast with them on a beach. He went into a room with them and he chatted with them. Yes, his body was different. There was something different about it. And I don't want to give the impression that the restored, renewed eternity that we will uh, live in if we're followers of Jesus is, is, is not something much more than this. But it isn't a wiping out of this. If you like, it is birthed from this existence. Eternity will be familiar. It will contain all the good things that we experience in this life now. I, I love that because that's what's familiar to me. I love that, that that's what God is doing. Revelation 21, and this is the main passage that we're going to be thinking about this morning. Revelation 21 says this, and it's talking about the restoration of all things. It's talking about um, what God is going to do. It says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, 
beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. That is good news, isn't it? That's what we're going to be thinking about over these next few weeks um, as we look at this series. In Hebrews 6, it says this, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Hope for the soul. That sounds good, doesn't it? I want that. I think you probably want that too. A hope for the soul. Well, one of the key ways that we can understand what this hope actually is, is in that phrase we've just read in Revelation 21, I am making all things new. You see, the story of the Bible starts with a garden and it finishes with a garden. And in between, we see that this garden, this perfect creation of God, becomes spoiled because of sin being in the world, because of yours and my sin. And uh, it spoils the creation. There's still lots of good and beauty in it, but there also is introduced sickness and disease and um, pain and suffering. And uh, death comes into the world. That isn't the way it was meant to be. Remember in Romans 8, it says this, We know that the whole of creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. All of creation is groaning for redemption, is waiting eagerly for this redemption, to be made new again. See, the story starts with a garden. There is this spoiling of the garden as sin comes in, but it finishes with this beautiful image of a garden in Revelation 21, a restored garden, a renewed garden. See, I am making all things new. That phrase, making all things new, the, 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 the word that is used for that phrase, I'm probably not going to pronounce this properly, is palengenesia, which literally means genesis again. See, I am making genesis again, or I am renewing genesis again. We don't understand what it will look like. And as I say, I, all I do know is it's going to be so much more than uh, what we experience now. So much more beautiful, so much more real, in fact, than, than, than anything we've experienced now. But it will not be unfamiliar. It will be birthed out of what we, are, what we experience now. It's a renewing of his creation, a restoration of of his creation, physical and spiritual. You see, this gospel that you and I follow, if, you, if you've chosen to follow Jesus, is a very big gospel. It's not just about the journey of the individual from sin to salvation, 
That, if you like, is one of the acts of the play. But it isn't the whole play. But often we've made that act the centre stage without seeing it in the context of the fullness of the play. If I went, I'm, I'm a bit hesitant to, to give this next illustration because I, I can almost imagine the comments coming up on YouTube of spoiler alert again. Uh, I'm sorry about that, but if you haven't seen the play Romeo and Juliet, where have you been? Um, but if I went to see Romeo and Juliet at the theatre, and I'm sitting there in the theatre, and the curtain lifts up, and there I see on the stage, in, in dimly lit, the body of Juliet lying there, dead. Or is she? And then next to her, I see the figure of Romeo, standing there holding what looks like... Um, a vial of poison. And I'm waiting and watching. And then the curtains come down. I'd be like, what's that about? What's going on? I won't understand what is going on in that particular scene of the play without having seen the rest of it, all the other acts of the play. Now, is that scene in the play important? Absolutely. It's really important, but it only makes sense in the context of the fullness of the play. I'll only know what is going on as I see the fullness of the play. You see, the, the, the part of the play that we are in, the part of the gospel of, of, the, of, the, of the sin to salvation, the personal sin to salvation, is absolutely key. It is absolutely key that you and I recognise our need for God personally, that we see our sin, that we ask for forgiveness, that we receive the grace of God and we receive his forgiveness and we enter into the fullness of life with him. But it is, it is an act that is made sense of in the fullness of the play, of the restoration of all things. The full story of the gospel is this. One day God will restore all of his creation back to the way he originally created to be. This place, this physical existence will be renewed and restored. All that is ugly, all that is wrong, all that causes pain will be dealt with. All the injustice, all the things that have been taken, all the things that have been stolen from people, that will be restored. All that is good will be restored. That which has been lost will be restored for those to choose to live in the kingdom of God and the invite is open to everyone for those who choose to live in the kingdom of God that is good news see I am making everything all things new that's something to look forward to isn't it Jesus demonstrated the kingdom, the business of heaven, breaking in now, didn't he? Um, in the way that he, he interacted with people, in the way that he included people who were, who were on the margins, in the way that he brought healing to people. He demonstrated what this renewed, restored kingdom would look like one day. If you like, the kingdom broke in to the present in, the, in, in, the, in, in Jesus. 
he demonstrated what restored, renewed kingdom looks like. And that's what we get to do as followers of Jesus now. We get to be people who have this hope for what will, will be, but we also get to be demonstrators of what will be now. It breaks in now through his followers, through his church. As we stand up for the things that will be in the new kingdom, as we stand against injustice, because in, in the new kingdom there won't be injustice. As we seek to pray for people for healing, because in the new kingdom there won't be sickness, there won't be pain, there won't be death. We get to be the people who live that out now. This is the hope that you and I have as followers of Jesus. I think it's a hope that makes sense as well of the fact that there's so much beauty in this world. But let's face it, there's also so much pain. We experience loss. We experience suffering. We experience um, grieving, don't we? There's so much um, that we experience that isn't good in this world, amongst all the good stuff as well. And we have this yearning within us, don't we? This longing. We know deep within us that this isn't the way it was meant to be. We're longing for something better. And that's because we have eternity in our hearts. In Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 it says, God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. You and I were made for something better. John Eldridge, who some of you may know, who uh, wrote the book Wild at Heart, says this. How we are longing for the kingdom of God. We are aching for the restoration of all things. That is the only hope strong enough, brilliant enough, glorious enough to overcome the heartache of this world. So we're going to be looking at what that hope actually is. And we'll also be looking at how the hope that we have as followers of Jesus plays out in the way that we live our lives. How that hope, if you like, can overflow into the way that we live our lives so that we become, just like Jesus was, demonstrations of that coming restoration, of that renewal of the kingdom. You see, what we do now matters. Our existence, our life as followers of Jesus, isn't abiding of time until we get whisked off to some ethereal existence in the future. We get to be agents of the restorative work of God now. Tom Wright says this, according to 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58, you and I are not oiling the wheels of a machine that's about to roll over a cliff. You are not restoring a great painting that's shortly to be thrown on the fire. Talking about what we do in this life now. You are not planting roses in a garden that's about to be dug up for a building site. You are, strange though it may seem, almost as hard to believe as the resurrection itself. You are accomplishing something that will become in due course part of God's new world. Just listen to that. You and I, what we do now that is good, that is part of the kingdom, we are accomplishing something that will become in due course part of God's new, renewed, restored, part of God's new world. What we do in Christ and by the Spirit in the present 
is not wasted. It will last all of the way into God's new world. In fact, it will be enhanced there. That's from his book, Surprised by Hope. I would really recommend you. It's a bit of a dense read, but it is so good on all these kind of themes. Surprised by Hope by Tom Wright. The new heaven and the new earth will be different, as I said, in ways that we can't understand. Uh, I don't want to limit, as I say, what eternity will be. It will be glorious, but it will be birthed out of what we experience in this life. It will be rooted in what is familiar. What it will not be is a wiping out of everything that we know and what matters to us. It won't be that, with us being taken off to some ethereal existence. That is not the Christian gospel. That's bad theology. It will feel very real. In fact, it will probably feel more real than anything we have ever experienced. Alan Scott, who's the pastor at Vineyard Anaheim, says this. The story you live in is the story you live out. The story you live in is the story you live out. So what is the story that you live in? Is it this story? The story of a God who is coming and is in the business of restoring and renewing all things, all of his creation. One day there will be a great day when God comes again, when Jesus comes again, and he will finish this work of restoration, and it will be a glorious day. But that work of restoration started at the resurrection of Jesus, and it continues with you and me now. It's a good story to live in. And if you think about it, just like Alan Scott says, if we live in that story, it will change the story that we live out as individuals and as a church. And we're going to be looking at that, how that informs who we are as a church, how it informs what we do as a church. So I want to finish with that challenge. What story do you live in? Do you live in this story, the great story of the restoration of all things? God says, see, I am making all things new. Genesis, again, renewed, restored. So just as we finish now, let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you that you are a God who chose to come and live amongst us that you entered our physical world and that this creation that you have created that has so much beauty in it, so much good in it, you, you love and this matters to you and that you are in the business of restoring it back to the way you originally created it to be and we get to join in with you in that. And also, Lord, that you are a God who are going to, is going to deal with all the wrong that is in the world. That's what restoration means. Thank you, Lord, that that's what you're about as well. And I pray for each one of us this morning that we would be people who live in the, the story of, of you making all things new. We want to be people who walk with you in this. May we be a people that live in this story so that the story we live out is a story of hope for now and also a story of hope for what will be. And we ask this in your precious name, Lord.
Amen.